Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 24. It's on page 82 if you're using the church Bibles. Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud, To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Thanks be to God for his word. So today is our rededication service. We've made promises to each other and to God. Just been reminded at the back, I haven't turned my microphone on. We've renewed our commitment, and we're looking forward to the future. And we've done it through a ceremony of promises, and we've shared a meal together in communion. One word we could use for that kind of promise and commitment is covenant. And here in Exodus, we go right back to where it all started. The point at which the covenant, the agreement... The treaty, if you like, is made between God and the people of Israel and is sealed by a solemn ceremony and a meal together. Of course, this isn't a treaty between equal partners. This very much starts from God and is driven by him 
He's the one who sets the terms. What it means to be his people through the laws he gives them. And they are the ones who promise to obey. But do notice the order in which things happen. The important thing to remember about the Ten Commandments and all God's other laws was that they came after God had rescued the people from Egypt. These weren't things they had to do to get God on their side because he had already chosen them. He had already rescued them. Remember the Passover. Remember the parting of the Red Sea. Remember how he fed them in the desert. These all happened first. Now, these were laws that came to people he'd already saved. If you're going to be my people, this is the way I want you to live. Obedience to God's commands is a response to God's grace. It's not the cause of it. And why all this emphasis on law and obedience? Some people today think in terms of God's laws as restricting us, limiting our freedom, taking all the fun out of life. But that's just so wrong. Because at the heart, they're driven by this one vital question. How can human beings survive in God's presence? Because God is utterly holy. His holiness burns like a fire and our sinfulness, our imperfection cannot stand in its presence. Remember how throughout these encounters with God at Mount Sinai, he has to tell them to keep back, not to come too close. It's not because he wants to keep them at a distance, but rather it's for their own safety, their protection. Because who can stand in God's presence and live? Our sin would destroy us. And yet making it possible for people to come close to God is what Exodus is all about. What the Bible is about. God still loves his people, even in their sin. He still wants a relationship with them. He still wants them to share in the life he made them for. But a way must be found so that they can come close without harm. A way for sinful human beings like us to come into the very presence of God himself. And it's not primarily through the laws he gives them. Yes, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws God gives are right and proper, good ways to live. Ways that please God. Things that need to and should be obeyed. And obedience to God's commands is important for our Christian lives. But it's a mistake to make obeying the laws or keeping the rules the basis for our relationship with God. In fact, wasn't this at the heart of the problem Jesus had with the Pharisees? All they could see was the law. And the need to keep it to the very letter. And they missed out on God himself. And the simple fact is the law isn't enough because we don't keep it. 
Our human nature means that it's just not within our capability. Even if you were to wipe the slate clean right now and say, okay, start afresh. Here are God's laws. Get on with it. We wouldn't do it. We couldn't. However much we might want to, in a minute, an hour, in a day, we'd eventually mess up and fall flat on our faces. However religious we might be, however hard we try, we are fundamentally sinful people and we just can't do it. But look at the people here. They almost seem too glib in the way they answer. Eh, everything the Lord has said, we will do. <laughs> really? Did they understand the implications of what they were promising? Our sermon in just two weeks' time, while the Exodus story still has the people camped at the mountain, will have them making an idol in the shape of a golden calf and worshipping it. How many commandments did that break? So God's laws may be good and right and necessary for telling us how we should live. And knowing them is a privilege of being God's people. To know his will and to be able to try and mould our lives to it. But they aren't enough to let us live in the presence of a holy God. Because they also point out to us how far short of the ideal we fall. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes them like this in Galatians. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Put in charge. Another way in some of the old translations is made a guardian, made a teacher. There to show us what's right and what our real position is as a people who don't live up to it. And why? To lead us to Christ. It shows us that we need to be saved. It points us to Jesus. And there's the key. Because when Moses gave the people the law, when he bound them to it as God's people through this covenant, what happened next? The next morning, he gets up, and builds an altar, and twelve stone pillars to represent the people. And there sacrifices are made, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Burnt offerings are sin offerings, and the fellowship offerings as a sign of peace. And the blood of those offerings is sprinkled on the people. And Moses says, said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And here we are, back to the theme that has been there since the beginning of the Exodus story. Remember the Passover lamb and the blood spread on the doorposts. Yes, God's law, his commands may show us how to live, what he wants for a holy life. But they also show us how far short we fall. They can't rescue us on their own. What is needed is sacrifice, the blood of the covenant. And now do you see how all this is pointing to Jesus? 
because he is the true Passover lamb, sacrificed for our sins. His is the blood of the new covenant. Just look at how many times these images from Exodus are picked up and applied to Jesus in the new. At the Last Supper with his disciples in Matthew 26, when he anticipates all that is about to happen to him at the cross, he offers them the cup and says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. An echo of Moses' own words in Exodus. And in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer makes this contrast between the old and the new covenants, between Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, he says, You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. A new covenant in the blood of Jesus, sprinkled just as Moses did with the sacrifices, applying it to all the people. And so what the commands, the law, couldn't do, Jesus has done. Because the picture Exodus paints for us is that sin is only taken away by a sacrifice, by blood. And to fulfill that picture, Jesus comes as priest and offers himself once and for all time the perfect sacrifice that takes away sin. Everything points to him. So the question, how can sinful human beings live in the presence of a holy God? Not by trying harder to keep all his laws, good and right though they may be, but through faith in a saviour. In Jesus, whose blood covers all sins, who makes us clean, makes us able to be there in the presence of God himself. The law was given as a guardian, a teacher, but it points to Jesus, our saviour. And then the story in Exodus moves on to its extraordinary conclusion. Because Moses and the leaders of Israel share a meal together in the very presence of God himself. Now a shared meal was a standard way then of confirming a covenant, a treaty. Because eating together was a symbol of peace. But to do so in God's presence... Even to see God himself while still living. This was extraordinary. Because as we're told elsewhere, no human being can see God and live. Yet, here they are. Exactly what they experienced, we don't really know. Because all they could describe was the colour of the ground on which he stood. That it was something like sapphire. Yet what they experienced was extraordinary and something very rare in Bible history. People meeting with God like this in such intimacy is very rare indeed. And was it because they were especially good and holy people? No, they'd only just been given God's laws and they would fail big time in just the near future. 
But here they were. And it was by grace, by God's mercy, by the blood of the sacrifice that was pointed to, the death of Jesus, that they could be there and live. And they ate a meal in God's presence. A meal. Something that in the culture of their day was the final sign that a treaty of peace had been made. To eat together. And that theme of sharing a meal together in God's presence does have echoes throughout the Bible. The vision of the prophet Isaiah is that God will prepare a rich feast for all the nations. And in Matthew 8, Jesus says that people will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And in the final vision of the Bible, in Revelation 19, it talks about the blessing of being invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The final consummation of celebration in heaven with Jesus, the Lamb of God. But that's all in the future. What about us now? I point you again to Hebrews which picks up so many of these themes, to chapter 10. We're speaking of Jesus making a sacrifice, it says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Yes, God is holy. He is so far above us in all things, and we are sinful. Even if we have the privilege of knowing God's laws, we still fail to keep them. Perhaps sometimes we despair of having any intimacy with God. Yet God still loves us. He made us to be with himself, and he still sticks to that plan. And now... He has made a way, a way through his own sacrifice, through the blood of Jesus on the cross, a way that lets us, even knowing our own weakness and sinfulness, come with confidence into the presence of God himself. And all this is his gift, received through trust, through faith. We can have assurance. We can have confidence. We can approach God with a clear conscience. If you've never understood this before, can I plead with you? God did all this. Gave himself even to death on a cross so that you can live with him. So that your sins can be forgiven. It's not about trying harder to keep his laws. It's about receiving his gift by faith. Don't leave here without sorting this out. Seize hold of this gift because it's the most precious thing in the whole universe. And if you already know all this, as the verse says, draw near to God with confidence, with assurance, Yes, you know all your failings, but so does he. 
but he has made a way through the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, for you to come and eat with him, a sign of that peace that he has made. Because this is what you were made for. The story of the Bible starts in a garden, where man and woman live in innocence in the presence of God. And it ends in a city, the New Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, we read about the city, how God lives with his people. How he will be with them and be their God. And how he will wipe away every tear. And this is what he wants. This is his plan. This is what he has given himself to make possible. This is the prize Jesus won on the cross for us, that we can be with him in the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And one day, we all will see God face to face and live. So even today, let's come near with confidence and with assurance in the blood of Jesus. Amen.